the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Get ready to take notes because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Abigail Johnson. Welcome to Education America, where we are working to save the classroom so that we can save the country. K-12 education is the playing field where the battle is on for the future of our country. And as the 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, succinctly stated, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. Well, good evening, and it's nice to see you again, Abigail. Good evening. It's good to be here. Yes. And guests, um, we have a, everyone who's listening today, we have a very special guest with us today. Mm -hmm. Uh, His name is Jeremy Tate. You may not know his name now, but you will soon because there has been some breaking news yes. that he has developed a an alternative to the C- SAT and the ACT college entrance exams called the CLT. So a lot of people are complaining about education. Mr. Tate is actually doing something to be productive and move us in a better direction. And so mm-hmm. we have him on to chat with us more about this this evening. Yes. Mr. Tate, welcome. Abigail, Rebecca, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to hear from you. So we are excited to learn more about the classic learning test. And um, while I'm thinking of it with your big announcement, uh, Florida just passed legislation saying that the CLT must be accepted amongst all the other tests in all of the universities across all the public universities across the state. Congratulations on that. Yes. It's been amazing. It's been amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, let's start by having you tell us a little bit about what drove you to start the classic learning test in the first place. And and really, you know, even your interest, it looks like your background, you have a Bachelor of Science in Secondary Education and then a Master's in Religious Studies. And so I'm just curious, you know, obviously it's that education piece that got you interested in standardized testing. You know, what what prompted this? Sure, I love that that question. You know, my mom was a, a career teacher, and um, you know, 2004 to 2007, my wife and I were in New York City. She was doing Teach for America. I was doing mm-hmm. Urban Teachers, and uh, it was kind of that experience uh, of you know being in the inner city, mm-hmm. working with underprivileged students. Uh, they got me thinking about kind of first principles in education, why we're doing what we're doing. Uh, thinking back about my time in Louisiana State and what I learned about education. And, you know, at the same time, I was starting seminary, and it was really getting into seminary that I, I more and more started to think, wow, we're doing something completely different than people did, you know, in the West, and even not the West, uh, for most of human history. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, so we, yeah, so we, 
We launched CLT in 2015, and I, I want to tell your audience, you know, at first it could be like, wow, are we really talking about standardized testing? What could be more boring? <laughs> um, right. I guess, like, I get it. I get mm-hmm. it. Um, but it's precisely because it can be, it can seem so boring that it, that it kind of flies under the radar mm-hmm. um, as really this super powerful lever that ends up driving, dictating, controlling uh, mainstream education. And so, yes. you know, by 2014, 15, I was running a small SAT prep company and I was really shocked mm. with what they're putting on the SAT, but especially what they're leaving off of, of the SAT. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and if it's helpful, I, I'd love to kind of share, uh, you know, what, what immediately prompted uh, launching CLT. Yeah, yeah, yes. for sure. And can I just also go back and just give a quick little history lesson to our listeners that the SAT was actually rewritten um, probably right around that time to coordinate with the Common Core State Standards that though they were states, they were also written at the national level in a sense, and the states adopted them. So um, I think that's a pertinent part of the conversation, that we had the ACT, we had the SAT. The SAT used to be more of a reasoning test, and then suddenly it kind of changed. And so this must have been around the time that you were running the SAT prep company, right? Sure, yeah. And I'll actually just do maybe a one or two minute, just kind of brief history of the SAT and ACT to kind of give your audiences some context here. So the the college board launched all the way back in 1900. And the idea there was looking for the IVs to kind of systematize and to standardize college entrance exams because they were all using different metrics. The SAT then launched in 1926. Uh, Essentially what they did is they took kind of the Army Alpha Test technology, which essentially... Uh, was was a test they rolled out during World War One to very quickly identify essentially who had high cognitive ability. They were going to be back in intelligence, um, and unfortunately, everybody else was going to the front line. So, mm. talk about high stakes testing. I yes. can't imagine much yes. more high stakes than that. Yes, they use that same concept though of what, what you call aptitude testing to create the the SAT in 1926, and it kind of flies under the radar. It's not a big deal until the end of World War Two the GI Bill, and suddenly you have more applicants than seats. Colleges become very, very competitive, and the SAT becomes a household name. Mm-hmm. So the, the ACT launches in response to contact is Sputnik and the space race. This is 1959. And the ACT says, look, you shouldn't be measuring kids on cognitive ability. Mm-hmm. You should be measuring them on what they learn in the classroom, mm-hmm. which sounds great until you say, well, wait a minute, which classroom are we talking about? Is mm-hmm. this a Jewish school, a Montessori school, a classical school, a public school? Mm-hmm. And like you said, uh, this it was very clear, became very clear, we're talking about a public school model when both the SAT and the ACT align with the Common Core Standards in 2014, 15, and 16. And of course, that culminated in rolling out the new, it's really the new, new SAT in 2016, mm-hmm. fully aligned with the Common Core, and not just aligned, they actually hired the grand architect right. of the Common Core <laughs> yes. standards, David Coleman, yeah. to come and be the CEO of the college board. Right. It's, it's really wild. Yeah. Yeah. It is, and, you know, I, I'm glad that you mentioned that because it is such a key part of the whole story. We actually covered this on a podcast within the first year that we were doing this show mm. and um because i yeah. just remember being stunned and we actually had a a guest on that i happened to find i think through twitter that was speaking out against it he was on 
Um, mm. On the committee that was hired by David Coleman to rewrite the the test, and then to he was supposed to be he was part of rewriting the norms or re- reestablishing the norms, and he knew that they had cut several corners, and yep. was a whistleblower essentially, and he basically got fired and shoved out and and really kind of shoved out by everybody because you know the the National Merit Scholarship Scholarship Corporation bases their their um, whole scholarship on the SAT. So he even raised it with them. And I think the Mm. article I read about that just said, well, you know, they checked into it and the SAT assured them that their norms were solid. And so basically they went on with their business. You know, they they weren't going to worry themselves about it. But I thought that was really an interesting piece, um, you know, just to know that they rushed this. They rushed this test pretty fast, it sounds like. Oh, absolutely. And and I wanted to make sure to share this part of it. And, and all of this came together in a, in a weirdly kind of providential way in 2015. And, and you know, my, my own experience, I had gone from 10 years in the public school setting to a Catholic school, a great school, school my daughters go to now. Um, but I was really shocked when I got there, the influence and the power of the college board. Yes. And this is what I'm talking about. Most of what we were doing at the school to market for students to compete with other Catholic schools, almost all of it was tied to the college board. We're mm. marketing on average PSAT score, SAT score, how many APs we offer, average AP score, on and on and on. And the moment that it just hit me like a ton of bricks was when uh, the, these Dominican sisters who ran the school They introduced two classes, an intro to philosophy and an intro to Christian apologetics. And they were so excited. They were so excited about this. And hardly any kids signed up. And I was a college counselor, and I was talking to students. You know, why didn't you sign up for the philosophy? These are the greatest questions any human can ask. And the number one answer was that it's not any AP points. And I thought, this is insane. Mm -hmm. We, We can't get our kids at a Catholic school to take philosophy or Christian apologetics because of the influence of what I see really as an aggressively secular yes. company that's mm-hmm. calling the shots. Yes. Something has to be done about this. Yeah. Something has to be done. Oh, I love this. So you were even responding to the whole AP because that's a whole, we've had many conversations about that and I won't go down that rabbit trail right now, but um, I have had problems with the AP classes for a very, very long time and for many, many reasons not the least of which is what you suggested, that it is a very secular organization. So they, they drive a lot of the content. But so you thought to yourself, it's kind of like me saying, oh, I think I should start a school. <laughs> You're saying, I think I should develop oh a standardized test that's going to compete <laughs> with the two largest tests in all of the country. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it was, you know, we, we uh, I, I have a lot of bad ideas and a lot of crazy ideas. And it was, we didn't have, you know, any, any financial backing. Um, it was really, I felt a moral obligation of like, there has to be an alternative to the college board. And that if the college board can have this kind of power to, to take a Catholic school and distract it from its mission or a Christian school, Mm -hmm. what if there was an alternative that encouraged a deep immersion into the tradition Mm -hmm. and was encouraging it in the other direction of the college board. And it's just been an incredible experience of people kind of rallying behind this idea. So many people just said, yes, we, we've needed this for such a long time. That's fantastic. So did you go to like college professors or did you go to 
um, you know, high schools, you know, can you tell us just a little bit about, I don't want to go too much into this, but how did you actually develop this test? So, so I, I was in, doing a couple things at the same time. So I was running an SAT ACT prep company, so I, I knew a lot about the test, and I was very immersed in the test itself. And then at the same time, I was also a college counselor. And being at a school run by Nashville Dominicans, I was encouraged to make sure that the students were, were fully aware of places like Franciscan University or Thomas Aquinas College or Benedictine and University of Dallas. So I knew a lot of people in admissions at these colleges really well, mm-hmm. and um, and they'd become just friends. And, and so I was able to say, as the idea was taking shape, like, what do you think? If there, if there was an alternative, how hard would it be to change your admission standards? And the response was like, we hate the SAT and ACT, too. <laughs> <laughs> we would love to do that. And... Um, and so there was, even before in a school like Thomas Aquinas, they were actually pretty instrumental in kind of imagining the author bank, who would be on, well, what we would actually be putting in front of students. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of, like, buy-in towards the concept and towards the idea, um, you know, even before we, yeah, and then essentially at that point, you know, what, what I did was I, I hired um, a freelance uh, test prep designer who's a Harvard graduate, Uh, to essentially create the blueprint or the initial test that we would start submitting to colleges. Um, And, um, yeah, so we we had the blueprint, um, and it was like, I mean, honestly, I I love telling this part, but it was the kind of thing where, you know, I'm I'm a college counselor, and and I'm running a test company on the side, and the person says, okay, well, this this is what it's going to cost for the initial blueprint. I'm like, cool, send me an invoice thinking I have no idea how I'll possibly pay that. <laughs> and um, and at that point, just start calling people who had financial means and saying, hey, you know, I think that there could be something here. I need backing. Um, and so it just, and it, and it, and it, uh, it kind of came to birth at, at really high velocity. Wow. So you took a step of faith that you were going to be able to pay for the cost of this blueprint, which I'm guessing, I mean, you don't have to tell us exactly, but it's got to be upwards over 50000 100000 right? Not, not quite that much initially, okay. Okay. Uh, but what, what we were able to do with, with just the test, so, so there's a catch-22 with any standardized test. And so the catch-22 is this, is that for a test to become standardized, you have to have a ton of users right. for it to be norm, norm yes. reference. Yes, and that's what I wanted you to address. Get it, mm-hmm. Exactly. But you, it's really hard to get a ton of users unless it's already norm reference. Right. And so how do you get out of that? And the way that they typically get out of that is, um, is money. And so you can just mm-hmm. pay people to basically take the test. But that actually leads to some credibility concerns as well. You know, mm-hmm. people are just being, you know, they're just being paid to take this test. So what we kind of did is, like, we can just... In, enthuse people kind of around this mission. And so early on, it was conversations with Thomas Aquinas and Benedictine in these schools saying, look, we know this is what we want this to be in the future, and it's not now, but if you're able to tie any scholarships to it at all, that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and knowing that it would take, and it took us three years to get even the CLT norm reference and, and to truly be what you would consider mm-hmm. a standardized test. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, But it, it was... Uh, and it wasn't kind of just, you know, myself, uh, of course, kind of putting myself out there. I think there are a lot of people who took big risks on CLT, people who took big financial risk, colleges who put themselves out there, heads of school who heard all kinds of flack from parents, like, what are you doing? Like, mm-hmm. nobody's heard of this before. Mm-hmm. These early adopters, because they were 
convinced that this matters, and they bought into this early vision for mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. And the, can you give us just a little bit of background on those norms? You know, obviously, to your point, the more people who take it, the more reliable the norms. Um, so can you give us just a brief overview of um, maybe the extent of or maybe the reliability of your norms? Um, how do you trust your norms? I, I know that that the ACT and the SAT, I don't know, one of them tries to really throw that at you all the time. And um, yet, if it's the SAT, well, they rushed theirs too. So um, yours weren't rushed at three years, but can you tell us a little bit more about uh, maybe how many uh, students participated? What is the cross, uh, you know, cultural parts of, of the students taking them? Was this mostly classical, private schools? Was it a public? Um, tell us a little bit about your the, the students taking the test that created sure. your norms. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, we we didn't start off with with absolutely nothing. What, what I had done early on was I connected with a guy named Brian Ray at the National Home Education Institute, who's a researcher and 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 uh, he, I don't, he's not a psychometrician necessarily. Psychometrician is their job is test validity and reliability. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of explain to him what we were doing, and and even before getting the first college adoption, which was Magdalene in January of 2016, I had students at my school, a very low number, 40, 40 students or so. They took the pilot, and then we, we paired that to their, their college board uh, report. Mm. And um, we were able to at least go in with something rather than nothing. Mm-hmm. The next thing we did was we worked with John Vesey at Wheaton College, and that was the first more serious study we did. This would have been late 2017. The first technical report we did was in 2018, the very end of, of 2018. We actually did this in anticipation of a meeting with the, the education commissioner in New Hampshire. Um, and then we have a, a big one coming out that's been several years in development coming out in just about a month, another technical report. So, um, yeah, so we, we try not to disclose exact numbers. You know, this year alone, all of the tests combined will be a little over 50,000. That wow. includes grades three through six. Mm-hmm. Um, the CLT-10, which is actually an alternative to the PSAT, not the SAT, mm-hmm. CLT-10 is actually the most popular assessment. Um, mm-hmm. And we have a scholarship that we offer really to compete with national merit. You know, the, the number one thing when we talked with heads of school is they said, yeah, I love the concept. I love the idea. I hope this works. But if we back away from the PSAT and national merit, yep. our parents are going to go nuts. We yep. can't do that. So we knew we had to create something uh, in place of national merit. And so we do have a CLT-10 national award recipient. There's about 50 a year. Um, And we do what national merit does, $2,500 freshman year for students who achieve that. Oh, you know, I'm, I run a school and I wasn't aware of this part of the CLT. We do have our students take the CLT as the alternate, as an alternative or in addition to. And, um, in fact, I, I would be happy to report that we were the fourth highest. Our students tested the fourth, fourth in the nation on the CLT. I believe it was the 10. Um, test. Oh, maybe, wow. or maybe okay, it was 11 incredible. or it might have been 11, 12, but yeah, fourth in the nation. Okay. Okay. And so of course we were very proud of our students, but I was not aware that you have a scholarship tied to it just as the PSAT does. Now the PSAT, they take it in 10th grade and they take it again the fall of their 11th grade. That's um, right. So the yeah, PSAT is tied to performance on the PSAT junior year and we're, yeah. we're doing sophomore, sophomore. year. Okay. Good. Mm-hmm. This is really helpful. I will make sure that our college counselor is aware of this. So thank you for sharing that. And then um, they can compete to become 
Um, do you have the different levels, like Mended and various, like the essay or like the National? We do, yeah. So we have three groups. We have uh, what we call regional scholars, and that's essentially top five percent in a geographic region. Mm-hmm. Um, there are distinguished scholars, and that's the highest student at their school. There's a minimum threshold. I think of like twenty students. It's not. It's not many. Um, and then there is the national award recipient, and those are the students that are actually getting. The twenty five hundred dollars. Okay, all right, that's really fantastic. Well, good. Okay, um, so maybe now that you've been able to give us a little bit more of the background, um, it does look like you give this test to students as young as third through fifth or third through sixth. It looks like you've got the CLT three through six, and then the CLT eight. Yeah. So maybe talk about that a little bit without getting too much in the weeds. This isn't just a college standardized testing alternative. This is also an alternative to all of the state testing that schools tend to do, um, often using, you know, it used to be the Stanford, but now there are other ones. Pearson is a big one. Yeah. So, so, you know, even in the early days, you know, a lot of heads of school would say, really love the concept. The PSAT is so hard to get away from. This is great, but what we love maybe even more is lower grade testing. And we, so there's a concept in the business world of like hedgehog concept. And so you don't want to get distracted. And so we would say, nope, we do college entrance. We're high school focused into college. That's what we do. And that was what we were saying for years and years and years. So, so three to six is, is new. It was just piloted this past spring and it was norm, normed over the summer and schools now are in, in droves. It's been, it's, it's blown away. Our expectations um, are signing up for the CLT three through six. And the catalyst for this, I, I love to share this story. I mean, the CLT is is, is not rationally, uh, it's not a super rational in that uh, it's, it's, it's off of a goal. And the goal is reclaiming American education. And we had a head of school, there was one conversation ahead of school, and she was giving, she was using MAPS testing. It's a, a test that actually most Catholic schools use, I would say, unfortunately, uh, in the country. And MAPS had put on their website, and, and a lot of it's still there. They took some of it down, but a lot of it's still there. They were showing, they, they were recommending ways to make students allies uh, as young as five years old, recommending for reading aloud uh, the Drag Queen Tips. Oh, my people. gosh. You're kidding. Um, and it goes to the melody of the wheels on the bus, and you sing it with them. Oh uh, five gosh. years old. Oh. And this Catholic head of school... She said to me, she said, Jeremy, I will get fired before I administer anything from this garbage company to my students. Yeah, good um, for her. And she put her foot down and she said, please do something. And mm. so I, I got out of that. I'm like, we're going to do this. We're going we're gonna to go lower grade. Uh, and that's how we launched. Wow. Fantastic. That's really good. How would you say that the CLT in those lower grades compares to like the ERB test? Are you familiar with that oh, one? Getting yeah, in the I weeds, getting into the weeds. Hey, yes. guys, let's remember, <laughs> we've got moms unloading their dishwasher here. Okay. Sure. If anyone has questions yeah. about this, email Rebecca Hagstrom. <laughs> You're funny. A couple main ways. The reason why it's pertinent is because a lot of the top schools will use the ERB. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's not, sure. it's not yeah. just an out of the, it's not just an in the weeds question. It's just really, so just give a quick high level answer. <laughs> yeah, so, so there's going to be kind of three dis- distinguishing features. So one, of course, is going to be source material, right? And so students taking CLT 3, 4, 5, and 6, they're reading excerpts from like Grimm's Fairy Tales or children's poetry. 
uh, things that have always been. Mm-hmm. Uh, ECLT doesn't want to recreate anything. We want to reintroduce what was always the tried and true in education for generations and generations and generations. So they're reading classic fairy tales and these kind of, this is the kind of source material we're using on lower grades. We're also trying to make analytics more digestible. The big complaint about ERB is there's just so much in terms of what they're doing on analytics. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things we say a lot at CLT is that it is our goal uh, to be kind of a Chick-fil-A of standardized testing. Hmm. And, uh, you know, you can go to Chick-fil-A and you're like, man, I'm never going to get my food. There's a line that looks two miles long and it's like 90 seconds later. They're like, what would you like with your with your nuggets? That's true. That is true. Customer service. They mm-hmm. not customer service. And so we want to we want to provide a better student experience, parental experience, school experience. So we, we want to compete on that front uh, as well. And then the other is just being less intrusive. A lot of these tests take up a ton of school day. The CLT exams are by design shorter less intrusive, and they're meant to not be a distraction. If a school is doing what we believe a school ought to do, giving them a good classical education, mm-hmm. um, they're going to do great. They're going to do fine on CLT assessments, and it's not going to be this detour mm-hmm. that they feel like they're taking with other tests. Mm, that's good. That That's very helpful. And I know one of the things that you wanted to cover, and I want to give you some time to do that, is the importance of testing and how it will drive um, the curriculum to a certain extent. So, you know, people might be asking, well, why why should I really care which test my child is taking? Um, do I want to talk to my school and say, I think you should give the CLT instead of something else? Um, what would be your response to that? Sure. Yeah, in terms of the specifically kind of how testing drives curriculum. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I I actually think this may be one of the only things in the entire kind of education realm that that almost every teacher agrees on, especially a teacher who's been in the classroom for five or 10 years. And that's just the idea that for better or worse, the test does end up dictating driving the curriculum. And we can debate if it's a good thing or a bad thing. And I don't want to make the case that a test ought to drive curriculum. I don't I, I think, again, there's pros and cons either way. But I do think that if it is a statement of reality, if it just is the case, it's really important what you're putting on the test. Mm -hmm. And so what we're trying to do at CLT is take a census, essentially, of the entire classical world uh, in American education. We have a lot of folks on our board of academic advisors. They're at great classical charter schools. Got a lot of folks in the Catholic space where they're looking to re-embrace the Catholic intellectual tradition. A lot of folks at classical Christian schools, homeschools. We've tried to maximize the involvement of people like Chris Perrin at Classical Academic Press or Martin Cothran at Memorial Press. Um, really, and, and instead of wanting to be you know, some kind of like self-appointed expert, we're trying to look at folks who have been building this movement for, for 40 years now and accurately convey that on what we're putting in front of students. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, this is so helpful for us to be able to talk with you today, Jeremy. And um, I know that we actually, we lost you for a split second there. So if our listeners missed some of that, we're sorry. But I think that most of what you were saying came through. And so we just want to congratulate you on the success of this test. I think I heard over 250 schools are using it now nationwide and now Florida has just now accepted it. So it's another reason well to done. go to Florida. <laughs> another reason. <laughs> You're not going, though. I always tell Abigail she's not going. 
going. <laughs> but Jeremy, thank you for joining us. And then um, to our listeners, we hope that you'll join us again next week because we're going to invite Jeremy Tate back to discuss just classical education in general and what the benefits of it are. Right, Abigail? Sounds great. All right. Can't wait. Thank hey, you. Rebecca, Abigail, thanks for having me. Thank you. And listeners, join us next week. And you can listen to this podcast or any other podcast at savetheclassroom.com. And you can also go to Spotify or Apple, Google, wherever you listen to podcasts. So see you, see you next week. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.